Thank you, Long family. We're blessed by that. If you will, turn in your Bibles to the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 17 where we ended last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it is true that we could not face tomorrow. Those of us who have known you and on whom you've set your love, and so, Father, we pray that this morning that our eyes would be set on Christ, no matter the condition that we are in, whether we are in grief or we are in a time of joyful celebration, 
May our eyes be fixated on Christ, our Redeemer. Would your spirit come and be in this place this morning, working in our hearts and our minds as we turn to your infallible, authoritative word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If I were to ask you who you think the wisest people group in history were, I I wonder what answers we would get. You might put forth the Greeks. We think of Greek philosophers and thinkers. We think of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Their influence on math and science and philosophy. We think of Euclid and Pythagoras and Hippocrates. Those six are up on the screen, but do not ask me which is which. (laughs) Someone's holding a pyramid, and I'm thinking that's geometry, so... I'll let the students answer that one. But think of the Greeks, how how they have influenced our world to this day. Dave Hubbard pointed out to me after 9 o'clock that now the Greeks have only given us yogurt and salad. (laughs) Now if you were to consider who of all the people groups was the most powerful, and you could come up with a long list, I'm sure, but we think of a group like the Romans. Consider their vast conquered territories, their influence on infrastructure. We think of aqueducts and and, and inventions, modern achievements. Military might made them a very powerful empire. Wisdom and power. These are two qualities that the world has pursued since the beginning. Our world today fights very much for these two things. Wisdom and knowledge wins debates and it makes your adversary look silly. It outsmarts those who are opposed to you. Power controls people, and it gives you a sense of authority. Both can give you a sense of superiority. But what is worldly wisdom and power, and what is biblical wisdom and power? You've heard the expression, knowledge is power. Now, for the Corinthians, it seems that that knowledge is built around the self, self self-focus, self-attention, self-promotion, which leads to arrogance. It leads to factions, right? We saw this last week. Well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Listen, at some point, these Corinthians, whom Paul calls saints at the beginning, They believed the gospel message. They believed in the truth of the gospel. They recognized that they could not achieve salvation for themselves. That worldly wisdom would only fail them when it came to the gospel. 
It was the work of God in their lives. It was the work of God in redemptive history. But soon after Paul leaves the Corinthians, they started to move away from this thinking. And they began to emphasize worldly human wisdom over the gospel itself. And in their pursuit of wisdom, they became arrogant wise guys, smart Alex, know-it-alls. This is our tendency as Christians to not be content to remain in the gospel, but rather to borrow wisdom from the world and import it into the church and into our lives. I remember when I graduated from seminary and we were all putting our robes and caps on and we sort of went around the room and started discussing how we had grown in our time uh, since we had arrived in our, in our years of study. And I'll never forget this. One of the students, he said, you know, I came here thinking that I wanted to learn how to destroy people's arguments. I wanted to obliterate liberal theology and, and win debates with people. Then he said, but then I grew to understand, truly understand the Christian position rightly. And God worked in my heart and moved me from a position of animosity and anger and even pride to one of grace and humility. Now, it wasn't that he lost his convictions. It was quite the opposite, actually. It was that his attitude and his methodology were moved from arrogance and, and frustration to having deep conviction in his heart for lost people. Worldly wisdom says, win the argument. Prove the other person wrong. And this student had imported this line of thinking in his understanding of the gospel. And we are all very prone to do the same thing with many different things. We can try and make moralism the gospel. When moralism is not something that convicts our heart, but rather gives an outward appearance. The Pharisees were moral, and Jesus said they are like whitewashed tombs. They look like they're keeping the law and doing all the things right when inside of them is death. And the gospel brings life. That's what's happening here in Corinth. The Corinthians are importing worldly human wisdom into the church, and Paul is saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are losing the gospel in this way, and your methods are only causing problems and causing division. And so Paul draws the attention of the Corinthian believer to some contrasts. Wisdom and folly, power and weakness. 
And this starts back, he starts this contrast back in verse 17 where we ended last week and where we pick up this week. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So if the power was in the, the, the wise words that Paul was preaching, if the rhetoric of Paul and his preaching and the argumentation was powerful, then it is the display that wows people and not the message itself. Listen, I am convinced that Paul would have easily persuaded the Corinthians with his eloquence. He could have easily dazzled them with his brilliance and his intelligence. He could have impressed them with his wisdom. But he intentionally chooses to preach the simplicity of the gospel without those other things so that it is the power of the cross and only the power of the cross that comes through. And you know what? The Corinthians came to faith by the simple gospel. But now they're beginning to look around them and they're looking at these wise and eloquent and uh, filled with rhetoric Greeks and, and their eloquent speech, and they're starting to think that their message needs more flair, that, that it needs to be presented in a more fanciful way, that they need a, a, a smoke machine and, and lighting and, and a dark background. Or they start to think that they need something more in their own lives on top of this gospel that they've received. The simple gospel was fine for an introduction, but now we need more. There was an older, well-known preacher who went and visited the church of a young, energetic, entertaining preacher in the same town. And after listening to the sermon, the older, well-known preacher said, that young man gave me everything but Christ. He gave me everything but Christ. As my Australian friends would say, all sizzle and no sausage. <laughs> Beloved, there is much that can capture our attention. It can be partisan politics, it could be moralism, it could be activism, or any ism that you want to fill in the blank. Those are not the gospel. They are not the message of wretched Humanity at enmity with holy God, being rescued by God in his coming to earth and taking on flesh in humility to bring life and light and salvation to many for his glory and for his purposes. And we did none of this of ourselves. It was a gift to us. We must be careful what we import into the church. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The message of the cross is not a message of eloquent wisdom from a worldly perspective. In fact, it is folly to those who are perishing. Why? Well, the, the cross is foolishness to people who say, well, you know, the Bible is just an antiquated old book. It's mystical. Who can really know it? The teaching that, that people are, are not inherently good, but rather are poor and blind and naked before a holy God, that, that's what the cross preaches, and that's folly to the world. The message of the cross is foolishness to some because they love their sin. Now, we know the reasons that people find the cross foolish. So why would we go back to the world seeking wisdom from that and import it into the church? What is it about the Corinthian church? What is it that made them change they, how they viewed it, how they thought of the cross? Obviously, as we said before, at some point, they understood the message of the cross, that it was not by their works that they were saved, but that it was by grace through faith, that it hinged on the, the death of Christ on the cross, that the cross represented real power. But as we said, to those who are perishing, it is foolishness that God would kill his own son and it sounds foolish to outsiders. So why would you use the wisdom of the world when it thinks nothing of Christ? Perhaps the Corinthians were just falling back into old habits. We talked about this last week. In Corinth, this was a big deal. You, you followed your guru, your teacher, and that was the one you followed, and, and you kind of ignored all the others. And so perhaps they're just saying, you know, I like Paul and I don't care so much for Apollos, and, 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 right? And they're bringing in division. Maybe that's what. They're just falling into old habits. Maybe they have caved to the pressure of the outward society that looked at them as foolish. Like the university student who is asked to defend his Christian faith and his classroom and his professor just absolutely shreds his arguments. And so out of fear and embarrassment, this student stops going to church and, and, and stops identifying himself as a Christian. What Christ accomplished on the cross is real power. Paul's point is, why would you go to the perishing who have no real power or wisdom and try to borrow from them, and try and emulate them. It, it makes no sense. Emulate the weak and the foolish to please man, or emulate Christ and please God. The cross is the display of the power of God. But again, sometimes we are too familiar with the fact that the cross, that we know that the cross symbolizes power, that we do forget that to the non-spirit-filled person, this all looks ridiculous. It, again, it's the story that God 
sent his son to die the death of a criminal to, to, to save human, humanity? It, it, it just, it sounds ludicrous. But it is the message, it is that message that separates humanity in two, into two categories between those who are perishing and see the cross as folly and to those who are being saved and see it as the wisdom of God. Then Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, and this passage is a judgment oracle on Judah, whose political and religious leaders are trusting in their own planning and their own efforts, and so they're trying to make... uh, alliances with Egypt, even though God had told them not to. And they're not listening to the prophet, they're not listening to Yahweh, and they're choosing their own way because they have the wisdom and the insight and the power. Listen to the whole passage. Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, And their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. So I will again do amazing things with this people, shocking and amazing. The wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. Isaiah's point is that God talk is cheap. That God's actions will actually shut the mouths of the wise talkers. The Corinthians, they they make a show of possessing wisdom and honoring God with their lips, but look at their actions. They're fracturing into these cells, these groups. That shows that, in fact, their hearts are away from God, are far from God. They are like Judah in Isaiah's oracle. And they will find... Their efforts of importing worldly wisdom into their church and into their lives will fail them and will fail the church. If you want an example, you could think of plenty, I'm sure, but if you want an example of worldly wisdom failing, you really don't have to look any further than Genesis chapter 3, right? In the Garden of Eden where Satan introduces some worldly wisdom. You want to have knowledge? You want to have power? God has kept these things from you. Then eat of the fruit. Listen to how James describes wisdom of the earth and wisdom from on high. This is James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There was a young man who his family moved from California to Georgia. He was in about the fifth grade, and he had learned to play the trumpet while he was in California, and he was very good at it. When he came to Georgia, they didn't organize the instruments in the band according to skill level. They organized them according to their grade level. So he's in fifth grade, and he kept thinking, I should really be playing with the sixth and seventh graders because I'm much better. And then he's sitting fourth chair. And after class, he went and he told the music teacher and said, you know, I've just come from California, and I typically play in a higher level class, and I typically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually first chair, and I'm sitting fourth chair. And the band teacher said, a really good trumpet player will play any part that is assigned to him. And those words of wisdom stuck with that young man. Then Paul ramps it up a notch, as Paul often does. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is Paul saying here? God has made foolish the wisdom of the world because in their wisdom, they never made their way to God. All those brilliant Greeks, all those philosophers, you break that word down, it's lover of knowledge. Philosophers, lovers of wisdom, all their wisdom, all their learning. And yet in all their brilliance and wisdom, none of them concluded that Yahweh is God. Because then they could boast in themselves that they discovered it on their own. Think of all the industriousness of the, of the Romans, all of their ingenuity, but none of them had real power but God. As Jordan emphasized in his prayer, what a powerful little saying. But God, in his own wisdom and his own power and sovereignty, he uses these two groups in particular ways. The Greek language that spread across most of the ancient world by the conquests of Alexander the Great was the language that God used to spread the gospel. It was understood because, because Greek was the common language because of what the Greeks had spread. And the gospel was carried out using roads that were paved by the powerful Romans. 
But by what means was the gospel taken to people? By the wisdom of the Greeks? By the power of the Romans? No. By the preaching of ordinary fishermen from Galilee, the tractor-trailer drivers of the ancient world. No offense if you're a tractor-trailer driver. It's a a compliment here. It it wasn't the the, the Harvard and the Oxford scholars. It it wasn't taken out by the, 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 the graduates of the military academies. No, it's by the preaching of Paul and Peter. Paul, a Pharisee from Tarsus who encountered Jesus in real power and moved from being wise, having wisdom and power according to the Jews to a confrontation with Jesus, and now he sees himself as nothing. God took things the world would call foolish and used them to go out and to change the world, to tell rich and poor alike, to tell weak and powerful alike, to tell educated and uneducated alike, to tell them that God loved them and was calling them to himself, that God had sent his son to die on a cross in order for them to have eternal life, that in what appeared as absolute total weakness and total folly and foolishness, was actually the wisdom and power of God, the author, creator, sustainer of life itself. And the Corinthians were undoing the unifying message of Christ by looking to worldly wisdom and bringing in division. And beloved, we do the very same when we create groups in the church, when we create factions in the church, when we gossip, when we criticize behind someone's back, when we promote ourselves, when we align ourselves with a particular personality, when we do not submit to the authorities that God has put over us in the church, when we do not exhibit love. The world says, protect yourself. Get people on your side. Seek to control the narrative. Use your power to control the situation in your favor. Do you know what the world doesn't say? Be a servant. Be servant-minded. Be servant-hearted. Do you know what the world doesn't say? Be humble. True humility. Love all. Not in the sense that they smear it around now. No, love all in true biblical love. James says, purity, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. But we are being reminded by Paul, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Don't be in opposition to God. It it, it won't go well for you. If you've studied any kind of history, ancient history, and you, you look at the great nations through history, and you think of these great people groups and armies, they're, they're always at odds with someone, something, right? They're, they're always fighting some external battle. 
But if you look at history, it's often not the external war that causes the collapse. It's often what's happening behind, inside the camp, that causes it to collapse, that causes it the most damage. Think of the Ottomans, think of the Romans. If Christians in the church bring in wisdom of the world and create factions and division, it will be from inside and not from outside that causes a church to fail. If the church begins to pat itself on the back and not seek the welfare of the city, it accomplishes nothing and it boasts in itself. Then Paul invited the Corinthian members to remember their condition when God first called them. From a worldly point of view, they had been utterly foolish to believe in Christ as a way of salvation. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. When the Corinthians were called, most of them were not wise or powerful or of nobility. When they were called, they had no basis from which to assert superiority over one another or to boast. And yet, when God called them, they believed in this simple gospel. These people that God called, these people who were according to the world, were foolish and weak and lowly. They were things that were not. They're, they're not even given any kind of standing. They are things. When they trusted in Christ, they were not foolish. Instead, the world was shown to be foolish and weak. Paul's not trying to insult the Corinthians here, but he's reminding them that they had no basis for boasting when they first received the gospel in their lives. They, never, they didn't feel superior to one another. They were not divided. And from God's perspective, nothing had changed between then and when they're writing to Paul. They, they still have no reason to boast, to divide, to quarrel. And Paul is reminding them of this. God filled the church with people of little account according to the world so that no man may boast. And if someone was, because he says some of you, there were obviously some people who were wise and, and did have power and maybe were of nobility. And if someone was of account, some account according to the world, that they would see themselves as of no account before God, having a right view of their standing before holy God and fellow believer. 
And look how he concludes this chapter. He says, and because of him, or from him, because of him, from him, you are in Christ Jesus. God has put us together in union with Christ. Beloved, we are united together, not in our race, not in our politics, not in our wealth, not in our earthly leaders, but in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. He is our greatest wisdom of all. Let us stop following the wisdom of the world and recognize that Christ embodies divine wisdom, that Christ who came to serve and not to be served, the servant leader, he is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. He's our righteousness. He he makes us right before God because we are in Christ whose death on the cross atones, covers, propitiates our sin, turning away the wrath of God. He is our sanctification. We, We align our lives and our practical living more and more with his, by his power and by his grace. He is our redemption because he purchased us with a price, and that price was himself. It was his blood that he shed. We owe Christ our whole life if we are in union with him, and that is not some form of slavery. This is, this is freedom. And the message of all of this, Christ Jesus being the wisdom of God, bringing salvation, is that all boasting will be done to the glory of God. Only a fool would boast in himself and his wisdom and his power compared to this. If you identify, if you identify with this, if, it, if, if it, at one point you found yourself believing this, that Christ died achieving salvation for you, not by your own efforts, but only by his. If you identify with this and you believe this, I wonder if you would stand up. If you once considered yourself wise and powerful of noble birth, perhaps, but now you see yourself as weak and foolish apart from Christ... Stand up. If you see that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, you can rise up. Now, look at one another. Don't look at me. Look around the room and look at one another. The world will offer foolishness to you. But remember that the world thinks that the cross is foolishness. I wonder if you'd indulge me just a moment longer. If you would just put your arm around the person that's near to you, next to you. As you feel comfortable, I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want. (laughs) Beloved, 
I appeal to you. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You have Christ, a stumbling block and folly to many. You have Christ, the wisdom and the power of God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remain standing as we sing. You're welcome to keep your arms around each other. <laughs> Praise God.